I want to talk to you today about new marriage. It is difficult to have a God-honoring marriage. It is tough to have a great marriage. Matter of fact, you go back to the very first marriage and, and you see the difficulty in having a great marriage. You go back to the first man and woman created Adam and, and Eve and, and they had their first offspring, Cain and, and Abel and Cain kills Abel and the parents are dealing with the grief and the pain and the anger and the blame gate. It was your fault. Why didn't you? And it's tough to have a great Marriage. I look at Abraham and Sarah. They could not have a baby and the tension over no child. And they both wanted a baby that God told them they were going to have a baby. And, and then Sarah says, sleep with one of the maidservants. And Abraham does. And Hagar gets pregnant by Abraham. Sarah's mad and upset. It's tension. It's tough to have a great marriage. I think about Isaac, and Isaac wanted to marry Rebecca. He worked for years to marry her. His future father-in-law tricked him and deceived him and gave him Leah instead. He woke up the next day married and noticed it was Leah, not Rebecca. And then he had to work more years and finally got married to Rebecca. He's married to two sisters. He loves one, doesn't love the other. It's tension. It's tough to have a great marriage. I think about David and Bathsheba. They met the first time. It was an affair. He slept with her. She got pregnant. David had her husband killed. They, the baby was born after they were married, and the, God judged, put judgment on them. The baby died, and, 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 and David and Bathsheba began their marriage with an affair and a dead baby. And had to build from there. Having a great marriage is tough. It's even tough today in the 21st century. Become almost everything in our society works against marriages and, and many marriages are falling apart. And today what I wanna do is I wanna give you five steps to a new marriage. Five steps to how do you have this God-honoring marriage. No matter where your marriage may be today, and I'm talking to people today that have been married for years, I'm talking to people that are newly married today. I'm talking to people that, that you're single and one day you will be married and this message is going to be pivotal for your future marriage. I'm talking to some people that are divorced or, or your spouse died and, and you have no intentions of ever getting married, but you have kids, you've got grandkids that you want to see them set up for a successful marriage. This message is for everybody. Five steps to a new marriage. Number one is this. Accept responsibility for your part. Accept responsibility for your part. There, there's one thing that every marriage in this place has in common. There's one thing. Every marriage, you say, really? We all have, you know, every marriage has this in common. And here's the one thing we all have in common. Our spouse is the problem and we're not. Every marriage has that in common. If they would just change, our marriage would be better. And one of the biggest hindrances to a stale, dry, old marriage becoming a new marriage is the majority of married couples are focused on trying to change their spouse. And they never accept responsibility 
for their part. And we have our part, and we have to focus on our part. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, it starts talking about just responsibilities. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And do you know what's going on right now in this place? You know what's going on there watching online? You, you know what's happening right now? All the men are like, yeah, that's right. Preach, pastor. Teach the word. You listening? But can I tell you, men, that verse is not for you. That verse says for wives. It specifically says for wives. That verse has nothing to do with you. That is for your wife. And so many men will try to use that as a Bible dart to throw at their wife, to manipulate, to, to twist, to, to get their way. But that is the wife's responsibility. That has nothing to do with the husband, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. And all the women who are not elbowing their husband right now want to, and you're thinking about it. You, you hear that? You listening? Boy, you better love me right. But, 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 but ladies, that verse is not for you. That's not your part. That, it says, husbands, that's, the, that's talking to the, to the men. Husbands, you got to do your part. Don't focus on your wife's part. Wives, don't focus on your husband's part. You do your part. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. So again, I say, each man, this is to the men, not to the wives. Each man must love his wife, adore her, love her, cherish her as he loves himself. And the wife, this is not for the husband, this is for the wife. And the wife must respect her Husband, friends, you're not responsible for your spouse's part. You're responsible for your part. And I want you to understand this. The best way to change your marriage is by changing yourself. See, God's number one goal for your life is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. God's number one goal for your marriage is not to make you happy. It's not to get all your needs met. God's number one goal for your marriage is to make you Holy is to make you more like Jesus Christ. And friends, holiness will produce happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of living God's way. And one of the major tools that God uses to make us holy is our spouse. Our spouse is like sandpaper. And they just rub away the rough edges in our life. You ever notice that? You married folks? You ever notice that opposites attract? And you start falling in love. You're like, oh, you're just so different. Oh, I love you. Just, oh, you complete me. You're just different. And opposites attract. And then when they get married, opposites attack. Have you ever seen that before? Come on now. You're like, you're different and you're irritating me. And you see, you say, Pastor, I don't get why I got problems in my marriage. Now, let me tell you why. You see, you never thought of this. You have problems in your marriage because the goal in marriage is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. And problems arise because God is want to sandpaper away some rough edges because you came into your marriage like I did. I came with issues. I came broken. I came with hurts. I, ca I came with preconceived ideas that were not godly. And God is using my wife Tiffany over the last 15 years to sand away some rough edges in my life. And God's still not done yet. Hurry, Jesus, please. purpose of marriage is not to make you 
happy is to make you holy. And God is rubbing away things in your life. And the question is this, will you accept responsibility for your part and let God have his way? Or will you keep focusing on your spouse saying you're the problem? No, 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 no. The best way to change your marriage is to change your self. Number two is this. Number two is this. How do you get a new marriage? Number two, commit to doing whatever it takes. The Bible says in Matthew 19 and verse 6, so they are no longer two. So when you get married to your spouse, you're no longer two. Now now the Bible says you're one. You're one flesh, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now that's commitment. Don't let any person separate your marriage. That includes don't let a friend or a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or a co-worker or most importantly yourself. Don't allow any man to separate you from your spouse, including you. And friends, a new marriage doesn't happen by luck. A new marriage doesn't happen by accident. It will take commitment to have a new marriage. But you know what happens oftentimes? Oftentimes a, a, a married couple's they get so focused on the other side of the fence. You know, a lot of people think, you see, they're not committed. They're not committed to do whatever it takes because they keep peeking on the other side of the fence. And you've heard the saying before, but it's so true. A lot of people think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Pastor, I'm just telling you, if I was married to her, I'd be happy. Pastor, I'm just telling you, if I had him, I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through. It would be different. And people really think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And I'm telling you, it's not true. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. And you say, Pastor, you hadn't seen my husband yet. I'm just telling you. And I'm telling you, the grass is not greener on the other side. And please hear me. If the grass is greener, that stuff's not real. That's astroturf, baby. That's astroturf. That's not real. That's not real what you're looking at. Because you see how it is? See, see, we see our spouse at their worst. You wake up in the morning, roll over, look at your spouse and say, dear Jesus, is the rapture happening today? Lord, have mercy. You got all kind of green stuff in your eyes. You can't even open your eyes. Lord, have mercy. Ooh, your breath don't stink. It stinks. Oh, God. And then you go to work and Miss Thang is walking around. She got her eyelashes on. She got a fake hair in. She got a little tight dress on. <laughs> and you're like, man, if I could be married to her, I'm telling you, I'd be happy. But I'm telling you, she's just as ugly as your wife eight hours ago if you could have saw her in the morning. She is just as ugly. But you keep comparing her at her best to your wife at her worst. And I'm telling you, the grass is not greener. Her breast stinks just like your wife's. You wake up in the morning, you roll over and look at your husband like, his belly is bigger today than yesterday. Lord, have mercy, brother. Gosh. And you go to work and Prince Charming is there and he's smiling at you. He opens the door for you. He throws a lot of little flirt out. You look nice today. And he, he flatters you. But I'm telling you, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. If you could have saw that joker four hours ago, he was home. He was trying to pick gray hair out of his nose. Come on, come on. Where the men at? Come on now. 
Huh? Lord and Lord, and the closer I get to 40, I'm telling you, and I got all kind of stuff turning gray that I didn't know would turn gray. Yeah, you, yeah, I'm telling you, 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 if you could just saw him before he left the house, before he put on his toupee, you think that's real hair? That's not real hair. That's a toupee, sister. you just getting to see him at his best, and he's all sweet to you, opening up the doors, flirting with you. He does that with every woman. You're not special. It's greener. No, it's not greener. It's astroturf. That person's got as many issues as the person you're married to. And here's the raw reality. Your grass may be brown right now in your marriage. But if you would spend as much time fertilizing and watering your own grass as you do complaining and looking on the other side of the fence, your grass would start to green up. It really would. It would start to green up. You got to quit looking on the other side of the fence. You got to quit complaining about what you got and say, this is what I got. At least I know what I got. And start watering your own grass. I want to just give you a few ways that I water the grass in my own marriage. And then you're going to hear from my wife of how she waters the grass in our own marriage. So here's some ways that I fertilize and water our marriage. The first thing that I, I religiously do is go on a date with my wife. And the argument is this. What's more important, quality time or quantity time? He said, Pastor, I spend a lot of time with my wife because you think quantity and quality time is sitting on the couch, turning the TV. Baby, you coming in here? Spend some time together. Got any lemonade? Any more than microwave popcorn? We're going to bond together. I'm t- no. That is not quantity time. Quantity time and quality time is sitting face to face with no distraction. Look at each other's eyes and talking, getting to know each other, cultivating your, your friendship. And, and my wife and I, we religiously go on, on, on a date once a week. And, and here's another big thing that, that I've just learned to do over the years, and that's share my feelings with my wife. You're like, Pastor, are you going to get emotional on us a little bit? I share my feelings. I know some of you men are thinking because I feel the same way growing up. I didn't grow up in a home where we shared our feelings. I'm tough. Brother, I'm just telling you how to water your grass. If you don't want that grass to get brown, your wife needs you to share your feelings. Don't just talk facts with your wife. That's bills, bills paid, kids picked up, got some groceries. Come on, brother. You got to open up. Hey, baby, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what's happening inside of me. Here's what's going on in our marriage. Here's and then listen to how your wife feels. Really, ask your wife how she feels. And sometimes I don't even like asking my wife because it hurts me, man. She's going to say something. I'm like, oh, I thought we were doing better. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I want to know how she feels. I don't want to live in la-la land. And so I want to know how my wife feels. Man, it's, it's cultivating our marriage. I tell my wife I love her every day. I love her. I love her. I text her all kind of stuff, man. Every day, I, I mean, there's hardly a day that doesn't go by that I don't text my wife and flirt with a little bit. Hey, baby, I love you. Hey, girl, Big Daddy be home in a little while. Hey, girl, I can't hardly study because you've been running through my mind all day long. I can't even focus on this sermon for the saints. But I just, man, I flirt with my wife. I love my wife. I want to cultivate our, our marriage. And, and listen, I want you ladies to hear from my wife on just things she does so that our grass doesn't turn brown. In our marriage, here's how she fertilizes and waters our marriage. Check this out. 
People like to say that the grass is greener on the other side, but the truth is the grass is really greener where you water it. And the same is true in our marriages. You know, you can look at somebody else's marriage and think that, man, they've got it all together. In reality, your marriage can be just as great as you want it to be, but part of it is up to you. It is doing whatever it takes to make it great. And so ladies, I want you to focus in. I am speaking specifically to you right now. I want to share with you just a few of the practical ways that I water my marriage, a few ways that I do whatever it takes to make my marriage great. Um, the first one is I am big on encouraging, respecting, and honoring Herbert. I honor his role as the head of our household, as my husband, as my children's father, um, as the leader of our home, and I honor him in front of other people. It's not just something that I try to display in our house, but I honor him in any interaction I have with people, and that speaks volumes to him. Another is I respect him. You know, we don't agree on everything. But respecting his opinion and his insight and his experience is valuable. And as I respect him, it just really promotes um, a respect all around in our relationship. And it just keeps it healthy. Um, encouraging him. You know, you cannot encourage your spouse enough. I like to say, I want Herbert to think of me as his biggest cheerleader. I, you know, you may be like me, there is no other woman that I want filling that role. I don't want another woman to be his biggest cheerleader. And so I want to speak life into him. I want to speak potential into him, vision. Um, whether you can do this through text messages, emails, notes, special gifts, and verbally, our men need to hear it from our mouths that we believe in them, we think they're amazing, and even if they're not where you want them to be, speak that into their life because what you speak can become a reality. So that's one of the things that I love to do in showing um, that I am committed to Herbert. Um, another is, I think, on purpose for a purpose. And what this means is, I may not feel like doing something, but I will do it because it is for a greater purpose. For instance, there may be something that I really want to do, but if it does not add to Herbert's life, if it is going to take away from him and take away from our marriage, then I will say no. So I am saying no on purpose for a greater purpose, which is our marriage. Um, I even think about this in decisions that we make as a couple. You know, it goes both ways. Everything that we do is on purpose for the purpose of our marriage, and our marriage is the priority. Um, and so I just encourage you in that. In everything that you do, filter it through the thought, will this add to my spouse and add to our marriage, or is this going to take away from my spouse and take away from our marriage? And that may mean that you're saying no to some really good things. You know, Herbert and I have both said no to some amazing things but we knew that it would take away from our marriage, and that is the priority. Um, another thing that I am firm in believing helps to do whatever it takes in your marriage is I make Herbert a priority. And what this means is that even before my children, he is the priority. And I know some people feel like that could be hard to do, but date nights with him, 
it is the priority. And there are times my kids cry and complain, don't go, we want you to stay with us. But I always tell my kids, if you wanna have a happy home and have parents who love and cherish each other, then we need to have time together. And um, so that is the priority. Also, I make him a priority in how I love him. You know, I have four kids. I have a really busy schedule. I have passions that I like to give my time to in ministry and um, organizations. And as my kids get older, oh my goodness, the schedules just keep increasing. And so what I have found is sometimes you have to fight against your flesh. Ladies, even when you're tired and you maybe don't feel like making love to your husband, I am telling you, there are times that you have to do whatever it takes. You have to fight your flesh and make the decision that you are gonna love him and invest in him. Um, and so those are a few ways that I, on purpose, um, commit and do whatever it takes to water my marriage and to make it the best that it can be. I just want to I just want to clarify that most of the time I'm the one that's tired and my wife wants to make out and I go come on flesh <sighs> but so I can water our marriage you know brother has to do what a brother has to do so um 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 Listen, you got to encourage. You got to water your marriage. You got to fertilize your marriage. You got to encourage one another. I said it last year, ladies, man. Men are like dogs, man. If you will encourage us a little bit, throw us a little bone, man, we'll be happy. That's a good boy. That's a, you do it good. You do it so good. Yeah, you do it good. You do it good. You do it good. <laughs> I mean, if you will speak life to listen, you get what you praise, not what you nag. You get what you praise. Not what you nag. We think we're going to nag our spouse into doing what we want. No, 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 no. You pray. Listen, it's a leadership principle. If you want repeated behavior, praise the behavior that you see. And men, the same thing. Praise. Don't nag. Encourage your spouse. Fertilize and water your marriage. Number three is this. Deal with unresolved issues. Deal with unresolved issues. All marriages have issues. Your marriage has issues. My marriage has issues. Singles, one day in the future you get married, your future marriage will have issues. And the first way you deal with issues is by admitting you have issues. So many marriages avoid dealing with the elephant in the room. There, there's issues in the marriage regarding the kids. There's issues maybe regarding the finances or regarding romance or regarding intimacy or regarding communication or regarding friendships or regarding work. And there's these issues. And, and we know in our mind that there are issues. And so many married couples just avoid the issues. And distance grows in the marriage relationships. It's kind of like people just pretend and, and just kind of believe that the issues are just going to go away on their own, just magically, poof, they're gone. And friends, you have to, you have to deal with unresolved issues. The only way that a dry, stale, broken old marriage can become a new marriage is to deal with unresolved issues. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse 16, I think this could be a great verse for, for, for many of us to write down, maybe stick it on a mirror, stick it in our workplace, our desks, somewhere that reminds us to deal with unresolved issues. The Bible says, admit your faults. Man, wouldn't this be a great verse for marriages? 
admit your faults. Notice it doesn't say admit her faults. Admit your faults. I got faults. We got issues. I messed up. I blew it. We got to deal with this. Admit your faults. Notice this. To one another. Not to your mama. Not to your daddy. Not to your friend. No, no, no. Admit your fault. What a great verse for relationships. To one another. And then when you admit it and talk to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed. But it all starts with, I got to admit, we got to deal with the elephant in the room. The second way you deal with unresolved issues is by forgiving your spouse. Nothing will destroy marriage faster than unforgiveness. And the only way that a broken old marriage can become new is there has to be a lot of forgiveness. And the moment you decide not to forgive your spouse, you have decided to wreck your marriage. Forgiveness is key to a new marriage. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, bear with each other, be patient, put up, have long suffering with each other, and forgive whatever grievances. Come on, everybody say, everybody say, whatever. I want you to catch that. In your marriage, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And friends, this isn't an easy verse to live out. It's a very difficult verse to apply. But I'm telling you, if you and I will apply this verse to our marriage on a daily basis, it'll revolutionize our home. It'll revolutionize marriages. It'll take a great, a great marriage to a better marriage. It'll take a good marriage to a great marriage. It'll take an average marriage to a good marriage. It'll take a broken marriage and start moving it up the ladder. But it starts with forgiveness. And that's, that's not easy. And I realize I'm talking to people, you're like, Pastor, you don't understand what, what's going on. She's lied to me. He's broken trust with me. We've said things to each other we never thought we would ever say. There's been an affair. There's been mismanagement of money. I can't trust my spouse. And it's hard. But can I tell you, the only way you get a new marriage is by forgiving, bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have. It's key to a new marriage. Number four is this. Number four is this. Ask people for help. Ask people for help. If you want a new marriage, ask people for help. It's very important that you ask the right people because there's a lot of wrong people who will tear down your marriage. Girl, you ought to just leave him. He isn't any good. She's a bum. She's a jerk. I don't know why you're married to her. I don't know why you're still trying to work things out. You don't need to go through all that. You just need to be happy. If I was you, I'd just give up on that marriage. You need to find some strong Christians who will help your marriage become New. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, carry, this is a command for the body of Christ, for, for followers of Jesus, carry each other's burdens. In other words, you can't go through this Christian life by yourself, carrying the burdens of life by yourself. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And friends, you can't get a new marriage on your own. You need some people that can help you 
carry the, the burdens. You need some people that can help you have a new marriage. And one of the hardest things to do is to humble ourselves and to ask for help. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. So I need your help. And here's what I want you to know. We all got issues. I got issues. You got issues. We all got issues. And so with that in mind, we all need help. We need each other. And one of the best things you could do is to ask godly people to help you carry the burden. Matter of fact, we have 10 marriage groups that are going on right now. You may have a great marriage. You may have a poor marriage. Can I encourage you? Get involved in one of the 10 marriage groups. Maybe you're a, a person who's been serving the Lord for a while and you have a very strong marriage. Would you start mentoring some people? Would you start investing in some young couples? Would you start investing in some marriages that are struggling and make a difference? Maybe you could start a small group for, for married folks, for people who are engaged. Make a difference. Invest in holy matrimony. I want to encourage you, this Wednesday night on both campuses, don't you dare miss it. We're going to have a panel on both campuses of couples who have good marriages. Oh, they've been through stuff just like all marriages. But they've got good, God-honoring marriages. And they're going to talk. They're going to open their life up. They're going to open their marriage up. Man, come on, this is a free marriage seminar right here. It don't matter if your marriage is good. It can be great. It may be poor. It can be, it can be better. It doesn't matter where you are, man. This is great time to come together. And listen, we're going to let you write down questions before we get started anonymously that we can ask the panel at both campuses to, to, to address issues in marriage. We want to carry each other's burdens. I would say to some of you, listen, get some Christian counseling. Man, that's not taboo. I don't know why we look at that as a negative, man. Come on, we all need some counsel and praise the Lord. Come on now. We, we need some help. We need to carry each other's burdens. And there are people who have been trained, professionals, qualified, who love God, that are skilled, that can help you deal with marriage issues. Matter of fact, if you would call the church office this week, ask for Shelby Johnson. He can point you to some of the partners that we partner with that will help you in your marriage. We want to help you. We need to carry each other's burdens. Number five is this. I've, I've said a lot of stuff, but this is the most important point. All of it's important, but without this, your marriage will never become new, and that is this. Believe God can change your marriage, because some of you honestly feel that there's no hope for your marriage, but I want you to hear me today. Regardless of how you feel about your marriage, I want to give you this one truth. And here's the one truth. God has not given up on your marriage. God can do what you cannot do. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. The Bible says that God raises the dead. And friends, if God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead husband. He can raise a dead wife. He can raise dead emotions. He can raise dead love. He can raise dead intimacy. He can raise dead romance. He can raise dead finances. He can raise dead communication. God specializes in dead marriages. He specializes in bringing something that's dead to life again. God specializes in taking old, broken, stagnant, crusty, rusty, dusty, nasty, filthy marriages and putting them back together again. He's the God that raises the dead. You got to believe that. You got to believe that. If your marriage is going to make it, if it's going to be new, if it's going to be great, you got to believe that God can breathe life into a dead marriage. I'm talking to somebody today. God, you may be ready to throw in the towel. God can breathe life 
and resurrect a dead man.